0: Scholarly gentleman once said, uh, Things are tough all over. I believe that was uh, Cheech and Chong. Um, And they are. And and I don't want to diminish the struggles of any people, uh, any groups, any individuals throughout the world with this podcast. That's no way, shape, or form the intent of this podcast. Uh, It's just. And exercise, and reality, and positive thinking. The world's not as bad as we think it is. And Holland, for all intents and purposes, it's getting better. There's things that are bad, and there's things that often get worse. There's things. There's so many things that need improvement. I think people misconceive the idea that things are going good with the thought that we don't need to improve. You always need to improve. That's. That is a. Uh, that's just an undeniable fact of life. Uh, the easiest way to, to kind of get a point across sometimes is just to talk about it, but often some people feel that's uh, null and void without some, some facts, some evidence, something besides opinion. Um, I went to a lot of different sources for some facts on this. Uh, a lot of the information I'll be using comes from a thing called Our World Data Um, I've got some information via the CDC. Um, Not the most trustworthy thing sometimes, but not really, I guess, trustworthy, but sometimes these things can be deceiving. But I I did go by a Gallup poll. There's a Gallup poll information in here. Uh, I've got some information from the International Food Policy Research Institute, Uh, also from the International Labor Organization. I've got some information from the USDA. UNICEF and possibly some others I forgot to mention. I think that's important. That way, if you want to fact check, you want to go back and look at anything, see where I found something, see if that information skewed one way or the other. Um, that'll give you the the ability to to do so. Uh, now, the hard part. I've got to at least make you consider the possibility that the sky is not falling. You know, we look for improvements in the world and improvements in the lives of, of people uh, locally, nationally, globally. That's very important. It's important for everybody's life to improve, for uh, things to get better for everyone. Uh, so a lot of the information I look, looked at uh, looks at things on a, on a global perspective. It's easy a lot of times in the United States to to do both things. To, to assume that things are really good and to assume that things were just really bad in other places um if you've ever heard the expression first first world problems we're we're guilty of that um, not to say that we do it from a bad place but, but we are guilty of that we we're, we're guilty of complaining about things that the rest of the world couldn't imagine being an issue um but it it's a that's a product of of your surrounding, of of what you're in, and, and not necessarily a negative reflection on, on us as a country or as a people. Um, and and looking at it globally also allows us to, kind of. Not focus just on the failings of certain societies, and us as Americans, we have a lot of those failings. So, um, you know, it's it's important to look at things as a collective. Um, and, and then break them down individually, state by state, country by country. That at least it gives you the opportunity of of looking looking at at the grand the grander picture, um, and to look at life in 2020 compared to life, um, you know, in the 1700s, in the 1500s, in the 1600s. Those things are all. Um, relative to your place and time, and, and your and where you're at globally, but I guess you know. Having said that, one of the things that that we look at is is quality of life, and to me, um, democracy or a a a government in some way similar to that it is very indicative of of what I think of when I think of freedom. You know, the Roman Empire uh, wasn't very free. Um, the Ottoman Empire probably fell amongst that same category. Um, you know, the 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 Church of England, who honestly ran England for a long time um had the ability, even though it was a monarchy um or they they had the ability to to impose upon people um a very non-democratic way of life. Of course, the kings and queens of England did the same thing. It was very dependent on if the crown was ruling England at the time or if if the church was ruling England at the time. Um, religion can play a part as a as a leader. But the deri- the the rise of democracy and uh, social progress um, has been a big factor in why the world is is getting better. In 1993, most people lived in an autocratic state. In the 70s and 80s, autocratic states outnumbered democracies. Only about one third of the world at that time was living free. That 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 according to our world data this this rise of democracy this rise of free states this rise of of people having uh, an interest a stake and a voice in their their government and having the ability to uh, express themselves and impact their state their country uh, th- th- that's a that's a very important thing and we're, we're getting to a point now to a tipping point to where um, free peoples are not appreciating their freedom quite often until they look at these states where oppression is is the ruling factor and and you know then I think it's it's kind of a sobering thing to go, well, wait a minute, you know I, I've got it pretty good. there's there's things, especially you know looking at this from an American point of view, um, there's things in our political system we need to fix. There's definitely things in our social system we need to fix. There's definitely thing in, in our value structure that we need to improve on as Americans, but we have a fighting chance. We have the opportunity. We have the ability. If we want to be more organized, more vocal, and we want to stand up uh, to do good and and not to, to, to work against the system, but to try to rebuild or fix the system, we have the ability to do that. But people in a non-democratic country... Don't don't have that that possibility, and that's becoming more and more prevalent. That that change is being made. That uh, all peoples want to be free peoples, you know, and and that that opportunity to do so is is becoming. Once you put these countries and these regimes on a public platform, on a on a global stage, to where it's not just. In a book, it's not just a story. It's not just here, it's it's there and it's it's in front of you. That that's an opportunity for the media to shine and really do good is to expose these states for what they are, to expose these countries for what they are, and and give these people a voice, a voice that their own country won't give them. Uh, and and whether it be Iran or or the, the protests in Hong Kong or or some South American issue, whatever it is, the opportunity is there now to To have the world shine a light on it and look at it, and that's a big thing. The mass media, as a whole globally, it is a large progression, and, and another reason why the world is is much better than it once was. Um, you know, the the worst people often hide in the darkest spots, and and that's still very true. Uh, parts of the world that have limited media and and state run media and and are a little more controlled. They have the ability to do much worse things, and that is a result of that lack of freedom, lack of freedom of the press, and and again, that's that's something that uh, our media often takes for granted and abuses here, and it's something we as as Americans don't always appreciate the fact that the ability to obtain uh unbiased and uh, un- undoctored news is there for us and and you know that's something that it seems like the rest of the world's putting a very a very big value on uh especially those other free countries that see that this can be the you know good good media outlets could be uh what changes the lives of these people in in a more oppressive state for the better but all those things you know whether you look at the rise of democracy that in a lot of ways you know every, everything has the ability to be viewed through a uh, a different lens and and some people may say that you know it's purely coincidence that the rise of democracy re- is happening during um, th- this time of growth globally and and that could be so and and, and the same could go for media um Eating is a basic human necessity, and it is very important to to understand that, especially coming from America, from a first world issue, we see hunger and we see uh, starvation in, in our country, but not at the rate that other countries have seen this. not Not at the rate it has been in the past, especially even for us. Hunger is falling, you know. According to the International, I'm um, going to say this was International Food Policy Research Institute. From 2000 to 2017, hunger has fallen substantially internationally. China, Turkey, Brazil, and Peru, among some others, have had a 50 percent or more decrease in in, in starvation and hunger. The global hunger index is less than 5% in Mexico, Russia, Ethiopia as of 2017. There's some other people there that fall in that less than 5%. Now, US and Canada, or US, Canada, and Australia, uh, they weren't calculated and they're not put on this map. If you find this map um, from the International Food Policy Research Institute, for whatever reason, there's a couple of countries illustrated in white that aren't on the map. And they're not you know. They're not part of this, uh, which they're mostly first world countries. But to look at, you know, Ethiopia, it's almost some synonymous with starvation. You know, and as of 2017, it, it's at a five percent or less uh, index on the global hunger index, the GHI, and that's a huge growth from where it is now. Anything on this map indicated in red is representative of an increase in. Uh, a hunger or an increase in, in starvation. I, I found no country listing that uh, brown and green. Uh, which green was represented in in the fifty uh, percent or, or or more decrease, I believe. But brown and green are two of the highest factors for for decrease, and the map is predominantly brown and green or a tan color. Um, th- this is this is huge, and and it represents a real shift in in our ability to feed the world now of course you're looking at the fact that science has made great you know strides in in in, uh genetically modifying crops that can be grown that can withstand that you know they have uh they found corn that they can grow in the deserts and things of that nature and that comes from science and um genetically modified things have this bad taste to them that that you know, on on a not not a physical taste, but it, it kind of rubs people the wrong way. Just that word, and I, I don't know enough scientifically uh, to know the repercussions of using these types of things. Um, but I do know the the positives that have come from it. You know, we need to weigh those positives against the negatives, and, and I myself need to look more into those negatives and, and see if they're there. See if it's a substantial, real thing, and and see if the concerns are are valid. But to say that our ability to feed the world has has not increased due to that is a ridiculous statement and our ability to feed others strengthens us as as a collective people and it improves uh the world the, the easiest way to get to third world countries or, or countries you know that are in harsh poverty the easiest way to to get them really up and going and and get them growing and, and becoming a benefit to themselves and becoming less of a burden on themselves is is to help feed them. Countries who uh, deal with hunger, who, who deal with overpopulation, who deal with um, sickness and, and illness, they're the countries that are going to pollute more. They're the countries that other countries are going to take advantage of. They're the countries that China are going to go and put their factories in and do whatever they want and pollute their waterways and stuff. So we need to build those countries as a global effort to to improve the world and and just from the 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 efforts made to help feed these starving countries it's been proven that that that's beneficial and that that helps to grow us all as a people um and and the fact that hunger has fallen to that degree you know we we always look at it and consider um consider everything to be getting worse I think a lot of people really look at everything as getting worse and something as significant as hunger showing that kind of improvement is is a very a very big deal uh you know that any of these things can change though any of these things can change for the worse you can't become complacent in that fact you need to improve um the progress that's already been made and you need to improve on the systems that are in place that have cause that progress, you need to constantly be working and, and be looking for improvement. You know that that's something that prog- predominantly successful countries and in first world countries and countries that are in a position to do to, to help need to focus on. You know you can't become complacent, or that hunger could rise, and, and then you're at the point that it's a negative and not a positive. Um, one one thing that I, I find amazing. Uh, you read older literature and, and anything that deals with real life, but even even some, some fictitious, you know, some fiction writings. It's very apparent in so many ways that the way we value children now as a whole, the joy they bring us, the love we show them, the, the, the connection we have with them has not always been there. Uh children throughout history have have often been property and burdens and uh workhorses you know used for um, basically as a cog in in a in a wheel to to help benefit a uh, a family or a uh, uh you know a community that they really haven't had the value placed on them that we place on them as uh, a society now. Um, It was actually quite to the contrary. One thing that you look at is these horrible sweatshops and this child labor in these other... uh, I'm still very new to this whole podcasting thing, and I had a small little interruption there. Not exactly sure uh, what we lost there, but we're talking about... uh, the appreciation of children and child labor was a horrible factor you know from from children working in mines in West Virginia and Kentucky to uh, you know to the global epidemic of sweatshops and things like that child labor has always been a horrible horrible thing. Uh, I looked at some stuff through the International Labor, Organ- labor Organization and um, child labor is, is on a steady decline. In In 2000 the percentage of children in child labor ages 5 to 17 was 16%. So kids age 5 to 17 globally, the percentage of them working in child labor was at 16%. Now, the amount of that same group working in dangerous conditions was at 11.1%. So you've got 16% of the the population of children uh, in 2000 Working in child labor, and 11% of that working in a dangerous environment. By by 2016, child labor was down to 9.6%. So you're looking at a global reduction of 16% down to 9.6% um, in in basically 16 years. Uh, on on the same note, that dangerous children working in that dangerous working position is down from 11.1% in 2000 to 4.6% in 2016. That's approximately a 40 percent reduction from 2000 to 2016. That's a huge stride. I mean, again, you're looking at that globally. There's going to be large concentration areas. Um, you know, uh, women and children notoriously in some of the, the the factories and stuff in India and places like that have have not... Fired very well uh, in the past, and there's been a lot of work to fix that. China's had issues with that uh, apparently in the past. Um, a lot of of people in the fashion industry have used a lot of these these areas in in that part of the world, and, and you know numbers very well may be up in those areas, but globally it's down, and that's a concerted effort, I think, by organizations and governments to bring that down. But it's also the increase of value we put on human life, and especially the increase of value we've put on, uh, on our children. You know, I, I know that most parents. There's exceptions. There's abusive parents. There's there's bad parents. But most parents today, especially American parents, put such a value on their children and and have such an adoring, loving relationship with their children, and that wasn't as prevalent in the past. Uh, I think that's due in a lot of ways. Um, I've heard some very interesting theories that due to the parents having fewer kids, you know, you've got 10, 12 kids in, in, in you know, making your way across the western United States, you, you lose one to tuberculosis, you lose one to this, you lose one to that, and it was almost, the, the death rate was so high, you had to, in a way, become numb, but there were so many of them that parents may have taken for granted the value of the child and, and as the number of children. And, and that's, you know, there's people today that may have 10 or 12 children that love them all equally and love them just as much as I love my two. But, you know, there's a lot of belief that that was a a huge factor in, um, in, in the relationship between parents and children. And life was so hard that that maybe some of that was tough love. Maybe some of that was, you know, you have to be ready to survive and make it. And if I make things too easy on you, that's not going to happen. Uh, but in in two areas um, that really have affected children, if hunger's falling, children are more healthy. You understand? So they have the ability to to function at a higher level. They're not hungry. They're not starving. Um, with child labor on the decline. Children have a, a life. Maybe they feel more valuable, and and they're they're treated as being more valuable, and it leads to to more opportunity. So you've got fed children who are living in better conditions and are less likely to be involved in in child labor, and much less likely to be involved in dangerous child labor. Um, and work is work is a a, a fact of life. It's something in life that that we can't. Um, deny them. we can't get away from them. but you know people people don't understand the value of time and and, and what it means to us and th- this is this is a part that th- this is a particular factor we're not improving on as Americans the rest of the world are making progress but we've really not made a whole lot of progress in the last couple of decades um There's a study that says people in developed countries have more leisure time. Basically, from 1870 to 2000, in Switzerland, Italy, Belgium, and France, weekly work hours are down from 65 to 70 hours in 1870. and That's the average between those countries. It's in that ballpark between 65 and 70 hours is what they were working in the 1870s. I was working that or more in the early 2000s, you know. Uh, at any day, my job could change back to I could be working that today. Um, now, that 65 to 70 hours in the in, in 1870s, depending on the country, is down to 35 to 40 hour range by the year 2000 between those countries. that, that That's almost half. You now, a lot of those countries also are getting... Uh, a lot of paid sick time, a lot of paid vacation time, extended paid vacation, shorter work days, work days structured differently, uh, paid maternity leave for both mother and father. There's a lot of differences in a lot of these uh, countries and what they're getting as far as work. But the emphasis is not on working your life away in these countries. And and unfortunately in America, that that still seems to be uh, the case. Um, I'd read an article and i would read this both ways. I'm going to be fair about that. I read both ways. That uh, most definitely debt is not as big an issue in, in those countries with the lower work hours, uh, but quality of life based on material possessions may be lesser. And, and to me, I don't know how you how you put a value on life based on possessions. But it was there. Um. Now the U.S. the United States has not seen a, a large. As large of a drop in recent decades, um, we we dropped from the 1870s and then kind of settled. Uh, there's a lot of blue collar jobs in the U.S. and that's not to say that there's not there, but uh, as a culture, you know, especially coming through the 80s and, and and the credit grab of the 80s and and the boom and bust of of uh, economies since then. Uh, and and kind of the lifestyle that was created in the 80s and a lifestyle of excess that really has continued its way on into the 2000s, that has resulted in more of these long work weeks being a necessity for possession than um, anything else. It's it's indicative of that. Now, we're doing all this work and we're working hard and we're buying all these things. But, in years past you, you know you go from a society, especially in say a country like the United States, you go on society from a society that is very small uh few settlers few few new residents um a lot of a lot of people are farming and 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 trying to live off the land um you know. Uh, you've got a lot of ranches and things of that nature and you slowly build your way up to people having to buy and provide for themselves. This birth of the suburb and, and the city really put a damper on growing your own food and it also brought with it an expense that many people had never had to this level, the expense of feeding themselves. You know, uh, in in the '60s, uh, and this is one of few um, markers that in the U.S. that go this way. But from the '60s until 2014, the USDA showed um, a large fall of food cost uh, as share of, of household income. So that is to say. What well, it's costing you to eat based on, on, on the percentage of your income you're, you're spending on food. Um, th- that's a very significant thing. It was it was a huge transition to go from small rural communities or, or even smaller communities where some food growth for personal use was possible, which you still had that. But you have the birth of these really large cities, which give birth to these suburbs and and it seems to be that the suburban type life that we look at today as suburbia started to become predominantly um, its larger growth area is, is around the 50s and 60s coming into this uh, you know a lot of factory jobs a lot of suburban living and that starts to limit the ability to produce food for yourself and that starts to cause this need this market to, to feed oneself uh, and you, you know we we've made it cheaper to eat now that's not necessarily all good i mean if we look at things statistically when it cost more in the 60s to eat you are also getting better food um the the food that you were getting was less had less impact on the environment and it was better for you personally uh, our diets have went down horribly uh, since the 60s, you know, not that they were at their prime in the 60s by any means, but um, not our diets collectively, but the majority of the food provided to us has went down. Now, there's there's gray area in all of this. Uh, some of the easy, cheap food, and again, this is a first world problem because the third world countries, uh, especially prior to this decrease in in you know, worldwide hunger, they would have took any junk food, anything they they needed the calories, they needed the fat. So it's very much a first world problem. But our food become cheaper to make, which made it cheaper for the consumer, but it also increased the amount of things you may not want in your food being in your food because a lot of them are used as as money savers and a lot of things were used to to preserve food to keep them on the shelf so that they had a long shelf life which led to less spoilage and less loss on the part of the store which led to less loss on part of the supplier so there there is this growth and we're doing good in regards that it's cheaper to eat but in all honesty in a lot of ways, the the food that's better for us has become more expensive. And that's a negative. So it's not all rainbows. That's the point. You know, yes, the world's getting better in a lot of ways, but you have to take time to really recognize the the parts of the world that even though they're, they've gotten better in, in, in these regards, there's still that, that portion of it that maybe is a negative. So it's a balancing act. And if we, completely focus on the negative and completely focus on the world is so horrible or things are so horrible or times are so horrible it's the revelations it's the end time i hear all these different things all the time that are ridiculous we're living in the greatest times in the history of the world but we got to focus on improving that and staying in those parameters and taking those successes with pride and 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 appreciation but looking at some of the gray areas, some of the negatives, some of the, 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 the darker areas and that and going, okay, there's room here for improvement. So what we're paying for food has went down. What we're getting for our money has went down as well. And it's important, you know, I'm not trying to argue that everything is all roses. And if I don't mention things like that, then it's, it's facetious for me to sit and just say, well, everything's better and this is why. 'Cause everything's not better. For everything we find that's good there's things that have went bad. But it's not all bad. It's not as bad as we think. And and that's what I hope to you know to, to get out. Even though this diet's got worse in, in some regards. I do feel that there's been various fitness crazes and things like but I do feel people now, especially younger people, are trying to eat better, trying to do better. Medicine's got better, vaccines have, vaccines have got better globally. All these things that have got better globally. Food supply, vaccine, medical care, good water, uh, freer people, better societies, all these things have led to something very important. From 1770 to 2015, according to our world and data, lifespan has doubled worldwide. Between 1990 and 2016 alone, male and female lifespans have increased by more than six years. Now, the largest of those gains are coming from poor poor countries in Africa and Asia. And that happens for a myriad of reasons. Now, one thing to look at is not to to misinterpret that. That doesn't mean we're all living to 80 or 90 uh, and when we all used to live to 40. It's saying that as a whole... The life expectancy of everyone has increased. So if the life expectancy of someone in a poor Asian country was 30 and it moved to 36, but somebody in the first world's life expectancy um, from 1990 to 2016 moved from, um, you know, Seventy-five to seventy-six. So it, it, it's, it's as a whole, but the the largest gains are going to come from those countries, those poorer countries. The reason being, there's been a concentrated effort to get malaria nets, which are, I think, seventy-some percent of those people have access to malaria nets now. You know, or you know, nets that can help keep the mosquitoes and stuff away. To whereas that was zero percent at, at one point in time. Uh, there's been a an effort to to help feed these these starving countries. Um, And that's made a significant difference uh, because child mortality is down. In Africa, 17% of kids died before age 5 in 1990. That was down to 8% by 2015. A lot of that can be contributed to disease and starvation. Now, you have things... um, like violence and and, and things of that nature, Uh, accidental deaths, deaths due to war, things of that nature. But one of the largest contributing factors was starvation and and illness. So we've got this large gain in, in life. People will not start living longer globally if conditions are so horrendous globally. It doesn't work that way. We've seen dips in life expectancy. We've seen life expectancy go down over the course of hundreds of thousands of years. We've seen it go up. We've seen the transition from hunter-gatherer to uh, more of a a uh, um, hunter-harvester type thing into a more modern life. We've we've seen these these differences. in India, the world's second largest populated country, I believe is what they said it was, um, child mortality fell by 69%. According to UNICEF, um, child mortality is, is, is down. and It showed a large decline from 1990 to 2017, falling by more than half globally. And again, you know, it fell by almost half in, in Africa Uh by a little better, you're looking 17 percent down to 8 percent. That's from 90 to 2015. And in India, with just a large population, and and again, they've had some problems. Uh, you know, they're a developing country in a lot of ways. Still, they've had a lot of issues. They're down 69 percent as of 2015. You know that that that's huge, and it's also being coincided with. Death in childbirth, that, that, that be it the death from mothers and children in childbirth, is down globally, with Africa making great, great gains from 1990 to 2015. So people are living longer, but people globally are having better access to medical care, better access to food, better access to a lot of things, including education and outreach uh, from from people who are in a position to help them, and that, that's allowing for a, a longer lifespan, lower child mortality rates, uh, lower death during childbirth rates, and you know that is clearly, clearly a benefit. Uh, one of the last things we're going to get to in this episode that kind of coincides with that is uh, is teen fertility rate, and it seems to be an odd thing, but the C D says that that teen fertility rate is down in the U.S. from 2007 to 2016 and that that that's a very interesting fact we're we're taking you know our population is 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 being affected by that but opportunities you know my my wife was a teen mother you know by her junior year she she had our you know our daughter um who biologically was not mine but you know by the time she graduated high school she was done a mother And she's done an extraordinary job. But she's had extraordinary people around her, an extraordinary family, very supportive. We were married very young. We were married by the time I was 19. So, you know, my daughter, I've been with them that entire time almost. My daughter's been a part of my life almost that entire time. But that had become, uh, in the 50s, it was such a horrible thing to, to become pregnant and unwed and, and you know you had girls being sent off and and children born and put into to uh to homes and and given up for adoption out of shame and things of that nature because we as a public were looking at things very archaically and now kids are more accepted you know and, and people understand that life happens but this push against uh, contraception and this push against sex education, albeit still there, has dwindled, and, and and the school systems are are being allowed to to help with sex education and things of like that. And and even um, you know the the people with the Catholic Church have, have made a lot of uh, uh, of moves to not uh, to fight um, child uh, or, or to not fight. Uh, sex education in public schools. Of course, they're, they've spent a lot more time fighting um, allegations of child molestation, and maybe that's took their minds off of fighting something like helping young teen kids learn uh, what happens when when you're not prepared for for life. But um, I thought that was an interesting fact, and I didn't find a global fact on that, but or a statistic on that. But I'd like to find it. Uh, I, I thought that was an interesting thing that kind of coincided with child mortality and stuff. That may really tie in in no way whatsoever, but uh, that's part one. And, and the reason I want to break this up is it, it probably makes it easier to digest. Nobody may not have any interest in this like I do, but um, th- there's there's plenty of other reasons why I think the world's great, and uh, I'm bound and determined to convince everyone else it's it's great. Um, but those those are interesting facts those are facts that i looked at and things that to me showed definite progress and again i'm not trying to say we're doing everything right everything's perfect not by any means we we need to make improvements um in all aspects of life but it's easier to make those improvements if you're starting from a positive position than it is if you think you're starting from behind the eight ball every time and there are some some issues like pollution that seems so daunting and and so impossible that it seems like you could never uh, get a handle on it, and then all of a sudden you've got a, a you know. my understanding is a very young kid when he invented it. You you basically got a young kid uh, making an amazing robot that can pick up trash out of the ocean. And there was people who wanted him to fail. There's people who did not want him to succeed, and and were very vocal about that. And that's sad. That says something about us as a people, and and or those people as a people, uh, and and as a person individually, and. Uh, I want him to succeed. I, I want to leave this world better for my kids than it was when I got here. And there's things I could definitely work harder at and do a better job at, and that I should do differently. Um, but again, if I start from the the perspective, excuse me, that we're making great gains and we're doing good, if I start from that point and and try to work out. It's much easier than starting at a point where I have to say we have failed completely and everything is awful. Uh, So that's the end of part one. Uh, I'll see you guys back here for part two.